0: Hosting for Your Tech Life, proudly provided by Web Central.
1: Everything technology, from computers to mobile phones,
2: TVs, and the internet.
1: Information you want, want. all the help you need. Your Tech Life, with Trevor
0: Long. Oh, internet, spare me. Sorry. Episode 247 of Your Tech Life. Uh, enjoying the uh, Twitter chatter on um, the federal government's new. Uh, data retention policies, uh, and you know, I think most people who listen to me probably know where I stand on that. I couldn't care less, um, because i got nothing to hide, and if access to information allows our federal authorities, uh, who are not trying to find out whether you've been accessing porn, but trying to find out whether you are a potential terrorist, is a bad thing, then uh, count me out, Yeah. Um, anyway, we're not going to talk... I wasn't going to talk about that tonight, today, this afternoon, good morning. Uh, whatever time you're listening, whatever day you're listening, thank you for joining me. Episode 247, thanks to the good people at Netgear and Garmin, garmin.com.au. Um, we're going to talk to Patrick Lowe from Netgear uh, later in the show. We're also going to talk about Survey Monkey. You've probably used it, but you probably don't also know the power of, of the product and the company. This is a big company. Uh, we'll talk to them later. And we'll also talk Amasim. Amasim have uh, relaunched their plans. A little bit more expensive, but a lot more data. So is there a trade-off? Will that affect them? I don't know. We'll find out. And uh, we'll take your calls as well here on Your Tech Life. Um, Lots to talk about, as I say. uh, Mobile phones dominating the news this week um, because new plans, new everything from a lot of companies. So... We'll talk about that here on Your Tech Life. You can get in touch any time because the whole point of the show is for you to get in touch. Say good day if you've got a question, a problem, or need help with anything technology in your life, whether you've just bought something or you're looking to buy something. Get in touch. Go to the website eftm.com.au or call 1-800-157-157. Now the first uh, mobile phone company we'll talk about tonight is Optus. And Optus have relaunched their prepaid mobile plans. Now the dollar a day thing is not new, I'm I'm very clear about that, but it um, it has been relaunched slightly differently, and these are cool plans because essentially you top up, so you add say thirty dollars to your Optus mobile prepaid account, and uh, and that 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 money, if you're on these daily plans, that money lasts you um, six months, six month expiry on the data. That's a big deal because If you put $30 on and you have to use it within, uh, you know, 30 days, that's probably not great value if you're trying to save money. Now, so let's say you're on these um, my prepaid daily, Uh, this is one of the plans, and you you act $30 on that, $30 lasts you six months, and you only get charged when you use the phone. If someone calls you, no charge. If you call someone, immediately on that day you are charged a dollar for your access. You can then make up to 30 minutes worth of calls. You can send unlimited texts, and you can use 40 megabytes of data. Uh, the the problem is if you need more than 30 minutes of calls. Well, the great thing is that if you do need more than 30 minutes of calls, you just keep making calls, and you get unlimited calls for a dollar fifty a day. So you automatically bump up an extra 50 cents. And then with that bump, you also get more data. If you need a stack more data, you can add... $0.50 cents more per 50 megabytes of data. And you can go up to a grand total maximum of $5 for 430 meg of data for the day. Now, that's paying 5 bucks a day, so it would become quite expensive if you needed that much data. But more importantly, if you don't need that much data and you don't need to make a lot of calls, and on some days you don't do any calls or texts, you pay nothing and people can still call you. I reckon that's really cool. And the, the My Prepaid Daily Plus is basically $2 a day. Unlimited calls, unlimited texts, and 500 megabytes of data for the day. So much better value <laughs> excuse me, than the $5 on the earlier plan. If you know you need that much data, you can you can just bump up for a few days to the $2 plan. People that do prepaid know how complicated it can be, and they know how to switch their plans, so they'll, they'll be aware of this. Um, a very, very interesting set of plans, and I'd be interested to get your feedback on that. And then the monthly one is, if you do a $45 recharge, and you're on their monthly prepaids, you get unlimited calls, unlimited texts, and two gigabytes of data. Not bad value compared to the rest, um, but I don't think it's great value. If you're willing to spend $50, 45 a month, you're probably better off on a postpaid or another carrier. So, interesting new plants from uh, Optus, and uh, you can read about all of those at EFTM.com.au. Your Tech Life with Trevor Long. Ah, oh, struggling uh, this week. My apologies for my voice, my throat. But we'll get through. No problems with that at all. Now, another story I had this week on EFTM was about the app economy. Now, there are a lot of apps. There's a lot of apps in the App Store. Now, with Apple alone, there are over 1 million apps, downloaded 75 billion times. Apple this week put out a statement, and that in itself is groundbreaking because they don't do a lot of statements. They just keep quiet and release products here in Australia. But it was in response to a Progressive Policy Institute report which estimates that the app economy employed roughly 140,000 workers in Australia, 77,000 of which were in New South Wales. Now, Apple responded to that and said, this is Apple, saying the App Store, i.e. the Apple App Store, has added more than 70,000 jobs to the Australian economy as our vibrant and diverse developer community grows, creating and selling more apps to, um, to customers around the world Proud of the contribution we're making to Australia through the app economy as well as our 21 extremely popular retail stores that employ 2,750 people uh, Apple employs here directly. Um, So, you know, that's a fair chunk of people too. 2,750 people work for Apple in Australia. Uh, That's that's no small thing. But it's interesting, isn't it? 70,000 jobs just in Apple-related world, but 140,000 workers around. Now, this is not people building apps. People designing apps, marketing apps, it's a whole economy But in a world where decline exists in, let's say, automotive manufacturing It is good to know that there are industries in growth Because you think about people that, you know, <clears throat> think our country is going down the down the tubes It's not There's, there's good things happening uh, And this is one of those things So 140,000 workers involved in the app economy Roughly, whether or not that's overs or unders, doesn't matter it's a lot of people and we should acknowledge the fact that there um there is a lot of uh uh growth for our country in uh, in this new digital world <clears throat> and uh something we should be proud of and something we should uh strongly embrace uh check out that story as well at uh, eftm.com.au and um you know uh, i think i'd love your feedback on that do you think that, uh, that the economy is that big or is it just a bit of a beat up from some I don't know, lefty or righty institute. I don't care left and right, all that kind of stuff. I just think it's a great story. And, and hopefully uh, my kids grow up and have a great opportunity in uh, in the digital world, whether it's the app economy or a different economy, the digital world will be the future for my kids. And I think we have to remember that's an important part of the, uh, the change that's going on in the world. <laughs> And we do it all thanks to the good people at Garmin, Garmin Satellite Navigation GPS Technologies. Um, And don't forget about the Garmin Vivo Fit. You can check this out at big retailers. Uh, People at Rebel Sport have got it. It's the fitness band that moves at the pace of your life. You already know the active steps you take can improve your overall wellness today, tomorrow, and well into the future. And while it seems simple to get out of that chair more often and move... Making it stick is another thing. So that's where the Vivo Fit can turn good intentions into lifelong habits. It's the only fitness band that greets you with a personalized daily goal, tracks your progress, and reminds you when it's time to move. Because it learns your current activity level, assigns you an attainable daily goal, and as you meet your milestones, the Vivo Fit will adjust your goal for the next day, gradually nudging you towards a healthier lifestyle. At Garmin Connect, the free online fitness community, you can also earn virtual badges and view your progress. It's a great little product, $159 retail, it's called the Garmin Vivo Fit. Talking technology without the jargon, your tech, tech life with Trevor Long. All right, I mentioned earlier uh, Optus's new uh, prepaid plans, um, you know, their attempt to really, I guess, claw back a bit more of the the prepaid market. They do okay, but, um, you know, ever-changing ever space, the mobile space, and, uh None more evident of that than uh, the company we know as Amacim. I've uh, been around for a few years now, and I uh, thought we'd catch up with uh, their managing director, Julian, who's on the line. G'day, Julian. How you doing,
1: mate? How are you, Trevor? Uh,
0: mate, very well. Now, first and foremost, my listeners have a very strong affection for Amacim. We've been following your company's growth from the start. Where's Rolf?
1: Rolf, Rolf, mate. Rolf is—he's uh, uh, he's still the CEO of the company, and uh, he's working on strategic matters and. Uh um you know he really is uh he's got more time now to 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 shape the future of our company while uh you know he leaves me to do all the dirty work and i uh, i get in i get into the into the trenches and work with the team
0: i'll accept that talking to me is dirty work <laughs> <laughs> the um you know, just you just tell him that i i just want to make sure if you can clarify that it's not because of the the comment about his shirtless photo on um the airtasker website or whatever it was some years ago anyway amaze him Doing pretty well. Um, It's one of those companies that, having watched it from launch, and I remember, you know, doing stories on A Current Affair about it when it launched, talking about it here, and it's one of those ones that I've never really known how it's going, because, you know, we went through the the Battle of Kogan, Um, they did pretty well, then they died Um, hundreds of thousands of people signed up, all this kind of stuff, but you never really know how the market really sits. And, you know, you you may not want to comment on this, but um, there's some random email I got recently from something called the Kantar World Panel ComTech Market Share Research, and it was the first time I've seen, you know, data about the the mobile carrier's market share, and it says that you have about a 2.7%, or sorry, 3.7% share of the total market, which was, also, seven point three percent this year of the prepaid market gaining a good share. Um, that's yep. that's a big share. That puts you as the the fourth biggest. It puts you ahead of Virgin and and behind the big three. That must be a satisfying place to be in market.
1: Oh uh, yes, Trevor. We're very proud of the uh, the performance of Mason. I think we uh, recently announced uh, we have over six hundred thousand customers now and. Uh, um, you know, in the last twelve in the last twelve months alone, it's uh, uh, the business has gone extremely well, and we've uh, announced now that we have over 130 million dollars in revenue, and uh, and uh, you know this is really coming back to you know a Mason really becoming the customer champion in the Australian market and uh, offering great value and a great service.
0: What um, what um, prompts a company like yours to finally or, or just at some point expose your your customer numbers because it's. It's something that I felt was being held really close, but was it to the point you wanted to get to that big number of 600,000 or is it just a, a strategic decision at this point?
3: Yeah,
1: look, I think it's just, um, it's one of those things where, as you said, we're, we are now one of the, we're considered one of the fourth uh, operators in the country and uh, we're just completely on the radar and we just kept getting asked the question from time, you know, time and time again and it was just one of those times where we really, you know, we, we have to start sharing uh how we're we going, and we're obviously very proud of the performance of, uh, of Automation, and it's just one of those times where you know it's really good to to share the great news and, and, and the growth of the business.
0: Um, before we talk about the new plans, you mentioned the 130 million dollars in revenue. That, that's annual, obviously. Um, that's correct. The you know that would put your ARPU at something like 18 dollars, which is quite low. Generally, would it would it not be, or is that because of the state of your plans? You know, you've got so many customers using the pay as you go style as opposed to the monthly plan yeah look
1: we've um, we've got a range of um we we have a range of products obviously we our hero product is the the unlimited product which you know is at forty dollars uh, and and that would drive a higher ARPU. but we also you know we cater to to other segments as well with our flexi product at nineteen dollars ninety and then we you know our the original product that we launched with which was as you go where you you know you pay twelve cents a minute and you top up how much you want so you know we have a a blend of customers from high up who users right through to people that just need to use, uh, you know, a small amount of a small amount of communications on a monthly basis.
0: And you can't be unhappy with that because it's really something Rolf's been banging on about, uh, and the company's been banging on, on about for some time. And you've you've got some uh, data usage trends and insights. You talk about, you know, the number of people that are that are you know, experiencing bill shock. Um, the number of people that actually have knowledge of their their cost per megabyte when data allowances are exceeded, so it would be kind of weird for for the majority of your customers to be on a uh, on a kind of plan that actually gives you more than you need because I remember Rolf showing me i, th- I think he has, even has a name for it the butterfly graph um, that shows yeah. you know the, the fact that you you might the only time you 're getting true value is when you use exactly what your carrier is offering so if your plan is $40 a month and, you know, 300 minutes of calls and 3 gig of data. Only if you actually make 300 minutes of calls, no more, and 3 gigabytes of data, no more, will you get true value from that plan.
1: That, that's exactly right. I think, um, you know, what Amazons always stood for is making sure that customers, you know, what we sell is what you will see on the bill every month. And I think ultimately what customers want is certainty. Um, you, you talked about uh, some of the trends that we're seeing in data, um, look, I guess the exciting part of all of this is that the consumer appetite for data is, is, is exploding. Now, uh, we've seen in the last 12 months, uh, even our own customers, that their data usage has increased 85% just in the last 12 months. Uh, analysts are forecasting that data usage uh, to the individual will increase 60% every year for the next three to four years. So, you know, what's really fueling this is You've got smartphones now in the hands of more and more Australians, mm. and it's not just about browsing anymore. It's it's video with YouTube, yep. Spotify, and uh, Pandora with music streaming, social media, uh, over the top applications like Instagram, Snap, Snapchat, and Viber. But people aren't just using one of these. People are using everything, and they're doing it all at the same time. And it's uh, you know that's what's really fueling the growth.
0: So let's talk about your plan. Uh, your you know a flagship plan uh, other than the, the per minute per text calls uh, and costs was your thirty nine ninety uh, unlimited plan. Now, as of the first of September, that's going to forty four ninety. so an extra five dollars uh, and you're adding a gigabyte of data, what's behind that change? because that's for some people that's a pretty pretty big jump.
1: Yeah, look we've um and we don't make changes lightly. We've had this product uh, in the in the market now for three years without any change. But as, as, as I said, what, what we are seeing is a real shift uh, in, in an explosion in data usage from our customers. We've always prided ourselves on being the no worries provider and uh, always making sure, like you said, that you've got more than enough voice, text and data uh, so that you've got the certainty. So, you know, we've, what we're excited about, obviously, with the new product is for $44.90, you're going to get a whopping five gigabytes of data. And once again, what we're doing is we're bucking the trend. I think what you've seen in the market is that uh, even with all of this uh, appetite for data, there are still plans out there with poultry, you know, one, two or three gigabytes of data. And it's just not enough to give people the satisfaction. So, you know, we've just, uh, you know, we see ourselves as bucking the trend and, you know, really stretching it a bit further. And, and we think five gigabytes will give all of our customers that safety net and, and comfort that they can continue to embrace the internet and uh, not worry about their bill. Well,
0: with, with your data usage growing 85% in just the last 12 months, how does, you know, you've taken social media out of the, the unlimited realm and into the data package, so instead of all your Facebook and whatnot just being a, an unlimited amount, you're now charging that as a part of your data. How do you think that will be received by your, your very cost-conscious customers?
1: Yeah, look, it's um, it's one of those things. We 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 held on for uh, with the free social media product for as long as we could. You saw a lot of the carriers actually and operators moved away from free social media around Christmas last year. So it's been a good nine months where we've carried it carried it forward, but it it has become unsustainable. And it's one of those things where you know social media has uh, has become a lot more sophisticated. It's not just about you know, chatting with uh chatting between friends, there's photos, there's video. And uh the difficulty for all operators is trying to capture, you know, where are these where are these uh videos and pictures coming from? Are they coming through social media or is it coming through the general um the customer's general browsing? And you know, at a Mason we decided that if you can't uh, if you can't actually stand by the promise of free social media and and and, uh, and track some of these uh, some of these content, it's really best not to to offer it and just uh, and you know maintain our 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 promise to our customers. But with social media, it does represent about maybe about, it's only representing about 200 megabytes um, from our customers' perspective. So when you look at us offering an extra gigabyte, you know we're offering a good four or five times more than uh, than the customer's social media usage. So you're well and truly covered.
0: So it's it's obviously. I mean it must be a bit nerve-wracking to go to market with an a, a, pl- a change in a plan that's more expensive and not have a fallback. I it just strikes me that you you may need something in the middle down the track, you know, a a plan that's, you know, $30 and gives you 2 gig with all the other stuff because is it possible that some people will go, you know what, that extra 5 bucks, I, you know, I'm better off somewhere else or I'm not getting 4G speeds. There's a lot of other stuff, there's a lot of other uh, reason for people to start questioning all their plans. I'm not talking about yours, I'm talking about the whole market uh, because of all the different things available. I mean, is that just going to be something you need to monitor on a, on a weekly basis in, in terms of your customer churn and, and retention?
1: Look, we will, all, we will always monitor and, uh, and listen to our customers. Uh, and we've done a lot of uh, research and, and planning, obviously, to get to this, uh, to get to this decision. But it's, um, you know, our Flexi product for 1990 uh, really does cover... Um, more than enough uh, voice and text and data for for the lower users, but as i 've said you know we, we are seeing all segments within the unlimited product um, within our current unlimited product they are all really um, moving moving north in terms of their data usage. One of the things that um, our customers like is they don 't necessarily use all of the all of the services that we have, but they just want the comfort that they 've got it covered and uh, you know, and I think that's uh, that extra for an extra five dollars to to know that you've got five gigabytes of data covered, and in in an area in a market where it's actually growing quickly, they they feel secure about
0: that. And I guess given you've got a great local customer service centre, they don't <clears throat> they're not going to price shop for them. But the average customer who wants that four or five gig is going to look around and realise that. And I'll say this, you don't have to, but you know, with Vodafone, you're going to need to spend sixty sixty dollars to get four gig, eighty dollars to get six gig. So you are looking at you know a, a much higher price to pay for that amount of data if 4G is not not your big thing because frankly Julian I, I don't have an issue 4G is great but doesn't really bother yeah. me I, I mean I don't really notice that I'm on 4G or 3G you know, it does drop in and out so I don't think it's yet to be a compelling um, network offer that that changes people especially people with you know low ARPUs. you know I don't think they're the people that are that are worried about um, 4G and 3G and I hope that's what you're seeing.
1: That's exactly what we're seeing, uh, Trevor. We'd, you know, right, Even today on our own customers, we've still got 70% of our customers still have a 3G handset. Um, you know, Our 3G network is uh, still significantly larger than any of the 3G, uh, 4G networks that are currently being rolled out. We also asked our customers, what do they know about 4G? It was interesting, 34% of our customers still didn't really know what 4G stood for. Uh, and then it ranged from some people actually knowing it's good for faster speed some people thought it was for better high, better quality sound uh, and other people thought it was for better coverage. So there's a lot of education to go for uh, for 4G yet and we think for quite some time 3G is a great service. I, I will add that in the last three to six months, our 3G network uh, that we use has been upgraded as well. So in the, in the cities, uh, it now has peak rate speeds of uh, 42 megabits per second Outside the cities at 21 megs per second. If I bring that down to the average user, what they're experiencing in the last three to six months is the speed of our own network on 3G is probably two to three times faster uh, depending on when they use it during the day. So that's also what's driving the increased usage. The more you browse on a quicker browsing experience, the more you're going to use your data.
0: It's uh it's a very interesting time. Um as I said, I'm I'm excited that you've done so well in the in the few years that you've been around. I was I was really chuffed, I guess, to see six hundred thousand customers um for you guys. I guess the challenge is to is to keep driving them, keep keep them, retain them, and you know, obviously get them to spend that bit more so that uh, that revenue keeps growing uh, and the company stays successful. So it's a challenge for you and Rolf and the team, but it uh, sounds like you're working at it nice and hard, Julian, so good luck.
1: Yeah. Uh we are working hard and I I, I do remind you we've uh I think Roy Morgan uh, announced uh, this year we were Telco of the Year uh, uh, for customer satisfaction and that's really a, a tribute to the amazing team. You know, We work very hard to make sure that we provide that award-winning service and it's not always just about the price, it's also making sure you get a quality service experience and uh, we work on it. we work hard through all aspects of our business.
0: Because you have a local customer service and that's what some people absolutely love is being able to pick up the phone and speak to someone about their mobile phone plan.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Good on you, Julian. Thanks for the chat, mate.
1: Thank you very much, Trevor.
0: If you want to see something cool, and I don't have a clue, but it's a, yeah, that's a bit of fun, uh, on the website, eftm.com.au, I talked about a, a T-shirt I got from Threadsmiths. Now, it's a $65 T-shirt, and I, I they sent me one to, to try. I whacked it on my son, and I threw him in the shower, and I sprayed him. The Threadsmiths have some nanotechnology built into this cotton that makes water just beat off It, it doesn't get wet. Just like the, the the bonnet of your car after it's been polished and you spray it with water, just beads and runs off, and that's what happens on this t-shirt. It's very interesting stuff. Now, you're thinking why, and I'm thinking why too. Now, in the rain, yeah, probably a good thing that it kind of beads off and doesn't soak through. And I think in a lot of rain it would soak in because in the wash it will wesh it will you know get wet and wash through. But it's the general spills and stains that it will um that will avoid. So a very interesting little product. I wanted you to have a look at it because I Instagrammed a couple of quick videos. Uh, and I put them on the website um to have a look for the article on the Threadsmith's t shirt. Um, but I think interestingly I don't think the T shirts is really the go. I think the actual um long game here is, you know, perhaps um in, in restaurants, the the tablecloths in in hotels or, or motels, the you know, bed sheets and stuff, I don't know, stuff that basically means that stuff doesn't get stained. Um, it's easier to clean. And maybe there's something in that. Now, I was thinking about the tablecloth thing at restaurants, and maybe that's not perfect because you spill wine, where does it go? It's going to go on the floor now? Maybe it's easier to sop up, though, because it just sits on top. Um, so that's an interesting one. I, you know what, I might some red wine on the shirt and see what happens. So stay tuned for that one on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram at TrevorLongAU but uh, you can find those uh, photos and, and videos and things also on Twitter at TrevorLong. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, back shortly, I'm going to go to the offices of uh, Netgear in, uh, in Sydney, uh, Chatswood, and talk to their big boss and uh, co-founder Patrick Lowe. <laughs> Listening to Your Tech Life, uh, I'm here at the headquarters of Netgear in Australia, and I'm joined by their big boss, Patrick Logan. Hey Patrick. Thank you so much, Trevor. Now, you're back here again, um, and the most significant news since we last talked is the, the X6 yes. Nighthawk. Now, that is, I said to you last time we talked, I don't know what you're doing with design, but you've clearly employed people specifically on the physical design of the products these days, because this thing's stunning to look at. What, what did you think the first time someone brought you a mock-up of that product
2: Yes, um, we have uh, employed, you know, one of the brightest groups of designers in the Bay Area, who used to develop a lot of uh, other really head-turning products for other tech companies, and they proposed a few alternatives to us. Hmm. We gave them really tight constraint that um, we need to have six antennas, <laughs> we need to have certain orientation of the antenna, but we don't want to have a box that's too big. Um, But then we would like to space out the antennas nicely and with enough heat dissipation uh, capability. And um, out of three alternatives, I think this is the most stunning.
0: It's quite interesting because it it, it genuinely, as you describe those specifications, you can see how the design fits because you can see the heat dispersion is coming out the top. The antennas are there. Tell me about the six antennas, and we'll talk about tri-band in a minute, but is it Two antennas per band. Is that why there's six, or is there another reason for that?
2: Yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, it's basically that um, it's two. I mean, it, it because the, for there's a three by three. So basically, you, you, what you need is is six antenna. But actually, the the each of the antennas are dual band as well. Right. So uh, it serves dual purpose for each of the antenna to mm. to handle both two point four gigahertz and five gigahertz. So uh, technically, uh, it's pretty challenging. Yes. Mm.
0: So. I've only just really been trying to help the average consumer understand dual band. And now you hit me with tri band. Uh-huh. So, uh, and, and my conversation with consumers on, uh, on dual band is, you know, in the home when you've got, uh, you know, streaming video or someone using Skype, plus you've got your general internet use or you've got gaming and general internet use, that's why you separate your bands. Is, is the change in devices, the internet of things, all this different stuff, is that what's meaning we need these three bands? Is it about separating the traffic on the highway essentially in
2: the home pretty much um basically in the old days of dual band you basically have the 11n that you would like to banish them <laughs> to the 2.4 gigahertz and then all the 11ac you reserve the high and 5 gigahertz for them for speedy transmission now what, what we find out is that now most of the devices are moving on to 11ac mm-hmm. Yep. so and among the 11 AC, you also have fast and slow devices. Right. So then all of a sudden, you jam all the 11 AC into one band, 5 gigahertz band. And we all know, you know, the Wi-Fi you know, secret is the, the speed of that particular band is as fast as the, the slowest device.
0: So just stop on that, because that is, as, as you describe it, kind of the dirty little secret of Wi-Fi. Right, right. You can have, let's let's set up an analogy, you have 10 devices connected to your 5 um, your, your second five gigahertz um, network, so you're running dual band. You might have one one computer running internet traffic on the other one, or whatever. But you've got ten great devices all connecting. The speed they all get is determined by the slowest device on that band.
2: Exactly right. So let's say you know, unfortunately, if you have a, a cheap Chromebook that is equipped with only a one by one 11AC that transmits at at most, like uh, 130 megabits per yeah. second. And then that Chromebook joined that 5 gigahertz band, and then, unfortunately, all your gaming device, all your Netflix download to a uh, whiz-bang, you know, uh, repeater, is all going to slow down to 133 thir- megabits per second. That's so the end of the story.
0: When I get a call, and, and I get this call regularly, because people are streaming their Apple TV or whatever right. it might be, and they say my... My streaming is really slow. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I say is, can you plug it in? Because mm-hmm. then you, you, it's trial and error. To firm, right. Is it the Wi-Fi, whatever? Right. Is, is a trial and error kind of customer support piece of advice, turn everything else off and see how that device goes then? Because if your Apple TV is functioning well on its own and then you start turning on all your other devices mm-hmm. and it starts slowing down, that's how you determine where the problem is. It's actually on your network. It's not the network hardware. It's not your router. You can have this whiz-bang router and a really poor piece of hardware connected to it, you know, a really slow Chromebook, as you say, for example, and it brings
2: everything down. Absolutely. And what is even worse is, well, I mean, it could be worse, it could be better, right? So we're talking about internet of things. Yeah. So more and more new Wi-Fi devices like light bulbs. Yeah. uh, Thermostats. Uh, blind openers. I mean, all these. And My mo- air
0: conditioner is, right, is connected. Right, right,
2: exactly. And motion sensors. All these people aren't going to be on Wi-Fi, but most likely they're going to be on the five gigahertz Wi-Fi. Yeah. So, but these are slow pokes, right? They're, yeah. they're not high speed, so they're going to jam your 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 Netflix download. They're going to jam your gamers. That's not good. So, so that's if, why you need two five gigahertz bands.
0: When you're um when you're setting up your home network mm-hmm. and I've got to be honest. This escaped me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm setting up my network, I've got the, the Nighthawk X6 there. I've configured it. I've come up with some great names for my network, passwords. Yes. <laughs> uh, I spent all that time <laughs> That's configuring right. it, That's right. and then you don't spend any time going. Oh, um, you've got an iPhone um, four. Make sure you only connect to the two point four gigahertz um, kids. Your little um, you know tablets connect to. So you actually should be determining. In fact, you probably should name your networks that way, you know, home, slow old devices, home, newer devices, <laughs> home, best devices. And so then, then you, even your family know what to connect to what network because you've got three networks now to choose from on the, on the X6. And so that's the advice is to, is to actually determine on a device-by-device de- device basis what network to, ne- to connect to. Is there advice, though, you can give on how to know which devices are slow? Because the average user, does, they've, got a, they've got a great little laptop which they say is wireless AC, but how do they know how fast it
2: is? How well, do they know? Well, actually, for, for I mean, the tech-savvy people like yourself, hmm. you could actually do that. But then for most people, they don't want to be bothered with, so our recommendation is just turn on our Smart Connect. Right. Um, there's a feature that we built into the uh, Nighthawk X6 yep. that we would determine... Where to put those devices into which band? So you connect to a single SSID and let it correct. We would do it for you, and we would basically test your device and see what speed they are, and then we'll group them accordingly to the right band. And that's that's uh,
0: I've had you know people uh, the number of people who have bought the X6 for example um, just by pure love and desire for a device like that that probably don't realise that. It has that capability built in. So you're paying a premium. Let's not get ourselves, this is not a cheap device. This is a this is a high-quality, high-powered device. So you're not, you're not buying a Toyota Yaris here, you're buying a Lexus, right? Right, right. So you, you get this thing. You've got to look at those features in that wizard when, when you're setting it up about the Smart Connect so that you're actually getting the benefit of that speed.
2: Well, you said it right. I mean, let me just tweak it a little bit, all right? It is like buying a sports car. <laughs> All right, no names wasn't okay, okay. That, <laughs> no, no. I mean, no names uh, talked about. So now, when most people buy a sports car, right? Mm. Uh, the purest would yep. like to have manual shift. Yeah. So you control it completely. Yeah. But then on the other hand, and say, oh, I don't want to drive it Be manual traffic. every day. I'm sorry. So I go, I go for an automatic, right? Yep. But today. All the sports cars, it doesn't matter whether it's Porsche, it's BMW, or, or your Lexus IF, when you buy automatic, they always give you the manual shifting option. Yes. So that means when you say, I want to get the maximum, maximum, I want to do it myself. Yeah, yeah, do But that, I really don't want to do it. And it's... Press the button and let it do automatic.
0: To take that analogy to the to the extreme, it knows what you want. Right. Because, in fact, most of them, if you rev them too far and don't change the gear, it just goes, right, he must want to go back to automatic That's mode. exactly and right. so your router is doing that for the family. Absolutely. It's Doing that for the for the kids with a gaming device right. that don't know which right. network to connect to. Exactly. For
2: mom and dad right. exactly. with their basic smartphones and their exactly. laptops. So when the dad, you know, wants to say, "Hey, wait a minute. I don't want this mon- connect to, to get in mm. my way. I want to do it exactly what I want to." Then they could use our app to say, "Hey, boom boom
0: boom." <laughs> it's the Night Hawk. I mean, we were only talking about the Night Hawk at CES. so that's, you know, 8, eight months ago. Right. Now we're talking about the X6. This is pretty quick pace in terms of evolution of networking. How do,
2: how do you keep up? Yes, exactly. Because the pace of the development of Internet of Things mm. have just quickened so much. Yeah. If we do not do something about it, w- then people's satisfaction will go down because you know the slow devices actually, you know, kind of hurt your video download and your gaming. So, so it's upon us to really quickly put together a solution for that really difficult question. Uh, over the last six months, um, we saw in the U.S. the market of things like uh, sensors, uh, intelligent light bulbs, mm. uh, thermostats, uh, smoke detectors. has grown so much. Yeah. That it, and unfortunately, all these are slow books. <laughs> and if you don't do something about it, it's going to hurt everybody's home yeah. network. So that's why, while people are buying all these devices in droves and really significantly enhance the comfort yep. and convenience of their homes, enjoying the modern day of internet living. They don't want their networks to be bogged down. No. So that's why we're seeing tremendous reception for these tri-band routers because that's exactly what customers need. So, so that's why I think we introduce it you know, at the right pace.
0: I'll give you an example. I got this message the other day on, um, on Facebook from a close friend, Kathy, and uh, she's asking me, you know, she's got a problem with a Big Pond. T- you know, the t- smart TV, it's not streaming movies very well, you know, and I'm asking where the router is. She knows where it is. It's under the stairs. And then I said, how old's the router? She said, five years. <laughs> Right. Now, now, five years <laughs> is <right>. an eternity <laughs> absolutely in home networking, let alone in technology, exactly, but Patrick, there would be hundreds of thousands of people who have modems or routers that were given to them by their internet provider right, right, when right. they first connected four or five years ago. They would, in fact, this this lady had a, a Motorola cable modem <laughs> with Telstra. And I know for a fact, as a Telstra cable customer, they, they provide Netgear routers now. Right. Uh, I said, you've got to ring your provider and, and at least get their new defaults. Yes. And secondary to that, consider getting a new router. Right. How do you face the challenge in a, in a marketing sense, I guess, to let people know that that thing which is bringing the internet in, let's the internet's working, yeah, it's not broken. <laughs> How do you con- convince them that they actually need to consider that as a piece of infrastructure in the home that must be upgraded?
2: I think you're right. I mean, we, we must do a good job collectively, both yeah us and you, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, I mean, I I think networking vendor us included are not marketing. The networking technology as good as the mobile phone, you know, vendors. Yeah. I mean, who owns a phone more than five years old? Who owns a phone more than two years? Exactly right. <laughs> then why are they doing this so well while we can't? I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's upon us to do that. And I actually have commented multiple times, you know, over, um, you know, press interviews on TV and all that. That the networking industry has to mimic the phone industry.
0: Well, shouldn't it be then that I should be able to ring my provider? Yes, in my case, it's Telstra and opt... Well, I mean, they should be upselling me. Opt for... I'd pay $5 a month more to be on a contract and get the latest modem every two years. Um, I mean, the, the, it's a barrier to entry. You know, $300 for a new router is, for some people, a huge barrier for entry. So people seem willing to spend an extra $5 on their phone. They'll spend 60 bucks a month on a phone when they can buy it outright. Uh, so maybe it's actually uh, working in partnership with the telcos to actually provide better networking infrastructure in the home through a you know plan based contract arrangement, is that an approach that needs to be considered, or is being considered?
2: Yes, definitely. We are working uh, very closely with the operators to do that. As a matter of fact, um, uh, well, names withheld. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, operators are coming out, you know, yeah, with, with with very soon uh, with technology of that calibre. Um, and uh, yes, we're absolutely working with all our service provider operators customers to, yep. to do the same thing. Yep. But uh, overall, I think uh, we, we, the retail vendors, the retail channel partners, as well as the service provider partners, plus you yourself, the, mm. the press, we collectively need to educate our customers because of the onslaught of Wi-Fi devices, what yep. we call the internet of things happening yep. in the house. You really need to upgrade your router just like your phone. Hmm. You can't do it every yeah. 5 6 years. You have to do it every 2 3 years. When you open <laughs> up
0: the uh, the Nikkei Genie uh, at the at
2: the low home. Yeah. Number of devices connected. Right. Right now is up to 20 some yeah. Oh
0: come on! I'm at twenty-seven. <laughs> yeah. I'm at 27 11 o'clock at night. So I'm tipping. I breach thirty when the kids are yeah. when the kids are away. You got to be at more than twenty-something. No,
2: no, not quite there yet.
0: <laughs> what's the newest thing in your home that's a, an Internet of Things style um, style product? What's the What's the thing that I don't know, made your eyes open and go, wow, because you see it all, um, but still things are, I mean, I'm the same. You know, we get to see great stuff, but still some things take our breath away. What's, what's the most recent thing that took your breath away in terms of technology? Well, definitely Apart from the X6, beautiful <laughs> <That's right>. Nighthawk. <laughs> well, yeah,
2: the X6 is definitely beautiful. But, I, I, you know, the other thing that we, we have been very proud of is that um, we have a line of uh, cameras, monitoring cameras. Yeah. That's battery operated, totally wire-free. And um, and it's indoor, outdoor. Mm. Um, so, you know, those are really, really nice gadgets mm. because, I mean, I, I was showing to, to a friend. My my kids are all grown, right, right? So I brought some of them to my friend's house. They just have babies. And mm. we were watching Netflix, you know, in the living room. But then we put this camera in the baby's room. It's night-day vision. All right so while we're watching TV we could have a cell phone right next to us you know watching the baby yeah. making sure they're good i mean and say yes i could use that yeah. all right so so that's that's some really exciting it thing is exciting. yeah so so we believe that the, there are more follow on to it because now we we've seen um, for example like thermostat providers such as Honeywell General Electric mm. and Nest are uh, connecting the the thermostat you know to to the, the internet traffic yep. And and we see there is tremendous opportunity in that area, not only that enable people to remotely control the temperature of the house um, so they don't have to heat it up or cool it off all day long. Mm. Um, it also intelligently, with the next step of the big data, that all these thermostats could be connected together yeah. so that it would be able to collectively do what we call peak response, right? So when the electric... Greed is, is heavy load. If now, everyone dropped by a, by a degree... Just one degree. Yeah. Then, then you don't need to turn on another power-generating plant. Yeah. So that's huge. So that saves the Earth, saves the energy, and keeps it humming. So, so a lot of things could be done with these Internet of Things. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the other thing is, of course, now we have all kinds of uh, detectors. You know, carbon mm. monoxide, carbon dioxide, and, 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 and smoke detectors. Again, I mean, when, when it's connected directly, you know, to to the um, the fire prevention or the police network, then the response time will be significantly enhanced. Mm. So I think I think there is a lot of good things coming down the pipe, um, and more and more devices in the house will be connected to the Wi-Fi network. Yep. So all the more we've got to make the Wi-Fi network in the house to be very efficient. So slow devices will not bog down the fast devices. Yep. So that's why we are very excited with this multi-band. Yes. Uh, routers. And Triban won't be the last. <laughs> yeah.
0: and, and to give a, a really a real example of that, because people hear us talking about this. Oh, we're sitting here in, in Chatswood in Sydney. Uh, my home is in the north of Sydney and it's, it's a reasonably nice day. But let's say we've got a weather warning saying that it's going to be a cold rush come through this afternoon. I can sit here on my phone and I can simply press a single button and turn the air conditioning on in my home. Now, what, what I've done is powered by two amazing things. Mm. It's powered by apps. I mean, right. the, the smartphone revolution is amazing. The yes. fact that there's an app here that I can press a button right. and adjust the temperature on right. my, my home exactly. like that is amazing. Right. But secondly, that couldn't happen unless this air conditioner was connected to a strong and reliable network at home. Absolutely. And if that network's not powerful enough to cope with the demand of all my devices, including this air conditioner, right. you don't get there. And that's, that's the Internet of Things. That's what Absolutely. people... Got a long way to go yep. before it's absolute mass, but...
2: Right. That's the exciting thing about the internet. Right. I mean, now people are moving on to beyond your temperature control is the light control, right? People love to... I can do that too. (laughs) exactly. People love to be able to control the light. My
0: my wife hates it when I do those (laughs) demonstrations, though, because the lights are flicking, especially when I'm overseas. At CES, I did that. I may have turned the bedroom light on at 1 o'clock in the morning.
2: Now, now, here's the deal, though. Right? I mean, it's exactly my, my analogy, right? You want to put the light bulb... In the baby's room, you know, when the baby goes to sleep, you don't want to turn it off. You just mm. want to dim it because yeah. the baby gets scared if it's totally dark, right? Mm. But then, you know, when the baby's fall asleep, you want to turn it off. Yeah. And and vice versa. Yeah.
0: So that And when, and when the when the when your camera detects movement or, or noise course, the light comes slightly exactly back on. Exactly. Right. It all happens, exactly all happens right. for exactly.
2: Exactly right. So that's what we call the comfort and convenience going forward. Mm. Now, if you I don't know, I mean if you try some of the latest Hotels, they usually equipped with an iPad. You know that will mm. turn the light on and off, yeah, TVs yeah. on and off, the blinds on and off. Now you say, "Wow, this is like three hundred dollars a night hotel. What if I could have it at home? You know, all day long." That's that's where we're marching towards.
0: Last question: um, You're a very successful man. You've, you've built an amazing company. You could easily be retired. You could easily just live a live a happy <laughs> life, and, and you got kids. Are, Instant, kids, right? are, oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> look at look outside the that's window right, here. Yeah. What is it? That keeps Patrick Lowe going. What, what is it about the industry that keeps you going? Like, seriously, you could literally just pack up and, and enjoy a lovely life with with your family, I'm sure. Um, but you don't get driven by, you know, just new products. You don't get driven by, you know, uh, corporate expansion things like that. What is it that drives Patrick Lowe on a on a on a yearly basis? You're looking, you go, that's it's going to keep me going next year.
2: <laughs> well, the most important thing, as uh, Mark Merle and myself established next year, sixteen seventeen years ago, is that. We believe every piece of technology will benefit people's lives, will change people's lives entirely. And we've seen it. You know, in in the old days, when color TV came on, when washing machine came on, it changed the lives of the people in China, in India, Indonesia, significantly. And clearly the next wave was mobile phone, right? When mobile phone came along, it changed the lives of the Chinese and Indians and the Africans significantly. And we absolutely believe that Internet would do the same thing. So we, we would love to see continuously how Internet is going to raise the the, the quality of life of mm. everybody on Earth. Not just on the Western world where you have more comfort, you have more security. Yeah. But more importantly is to raise the living standard of the people who are still less privileged than we do. And connectivity does that, really, right. doesn't it? And, and connectivity to Internet... Is absolutely doing that job. Yeah. So that's what we are thrilled about. I mean, today, if we go to India and we saw, you know, people of, you know, poor and, or, or rich, will be able to connect to the internet and do a lot of things, facilitate a lot of commerce, facilitate a lot mm. of education. That's the things that drive Mark and I to continue to go forward. Good on
0: you, Patrick. Thanks for the chat as always.
2: Right? Thanks a lot, Charlie.
0: Talking technology without the jargon. Your, Your tech, tech life. life with Trevor Long. Now, isn't it cool when you've been using a product or, or a website for some time and then you, you kind of find out that it's more than just, you know, the odd thing that you've been doing. It's a, it's actually a global business, uh, you know, doing proper things and making uh, making big bucks, most likely. I came across um, this this week uh, when uh, the people from SurveyMonkey were in town. And uh, that's one of those things, I don't know, I've probably been sent, I'd guess, 100 SurveyMonkeys over the years, which is just a way of asking questions. Now, it could be your family creating a survey to talk to each other, or it could be a, a big business um, asking serious survey questions. But SurveyMonkey is so big and so so uh, enormous in terms of its scale that it's probably doing more surveys than anyone else in the world. And uh, the man from SurveyMonkey who's over here in Australia is Brent Chadober, and he's on the line. G'day, Brent. Good day. How are you? And I'm well. And and I don't. It's probably a terrible thing to say, but I mean, it is interesting, really, to me that this thing that's just been there—it's kind of like a, it's been around on the internet for such a long time, it seems—is um, actually big business. To just give me some background on SurveyMonkey. I mean, how did it come about, and and how long has it been around?
3: Sure. So SurveyMonkey's been around for about 15 years now. Uh, it was founded in 1999. Um, by a guy named Ryan Finley in, in the United States, and he founded it um, after he had graduated from college as something to help him out in his first job to collect some survey responses and to get some data from uh, for customers for a company he was working for. And for the first 10 years, he really built the tool um, to be a self-service survey platform that really anybody could use to collect feedback and had a very small team that he built out and then about five years ago, I joined the team with, with our CEO, and then we've, we've hired a, a host of other people to really take the business from a great, simple survey platform to be something that's really helping people make better decisions and, and trying to think through all the tools, platform elements, and different services that we can add to really help shape decisions across the world.
0: Now, there's probably a bunch of people listening that have filled in Survey Monkeys and are asking the question to themselves right now, how the hell does that make money?
3: Well, for the first 10 years and then mostly for the last five years as well, um, the basic model was if you sign up to create surveys, there's a free version of the product. Mm. It's a limited version. We call it a freemium business model. And it's free to use, free to try. And if you want to use some of our advanced features, if you want to do things like review and gather over 100 responses or add more than 10 questions or use some of our logic features, some of our sharing features and export tools, mm. then you have to pay. And yeah. there are a few different plans. They're typically something like 20 to $25 a month to access the tool or 200 to $300 per year to access the tool for unlimited use.
0: And and people uh, may, may realize that, may not. I mean, I did a survey, um, it's got to be two months ago now, we were doing our, our annual awards and uh, we wanted a, a reader's choice and I quickly did a uh, a little survey market it was like three questions and, and off I went and uh, I think you know I've got a, a, the probably the base level account I'm probably the one above free if you like and and that's that's the thing is is a small business a big business people that want to learn about their audiences or any anyone in, individually via social you can you can make anything happen these days can't you um can can create a survey and share it in their own method whether it's via social or via email and that's social would have had a big impact on the business I guess over the last few years
3: yeah, and I think it's a way that people can leverage their a channel that they can push out a survey to and get anybody who's following them or anyone who checks that update to get some some extra responses or um, really just to to see from their peer group or the people that follow their interest uh, you know what they're thinking and get and get those opinions really quickly and it's a very nice free way to to, to distribute a survey.
0: So what's next? Um, you've you've been running a product or, or a Uh, a stream of business in America for a little while now, and you've launched that this week in Australia. Tell us about that.
3: Yes, so we launched a product called SurveyMonkey Audience in early 2011 in the United States. That business was our first foray into really helping people find the right respondents for their survey. So we just talked about social networking collector types where you can distribute something and get people you know To take a survey and provide you opinions, but what if you need someone that you don't know? What if they're, what if you're targeting potential customers instead of your existing customers? Uh, we built a platform to help gather and recruit people to take surveys. We use a really innovative way that we recruit them, which is using the end of SurveyMonkey surveys where we ask people if they'd like to take another survey to benefit charity. So we've been doing this in the US for about three years now. And we actually just launched in Australia about two months ago, starting to recruit people to take surveys so that our customers in Australia can then actually leverage that respondent pool if they need to answer questions and get a representative group of Australians to take their survey. So that will launch for customers. um, Really, it's just starting to launch this week where Mm -hmm. we can now start recruiting people or start actually letting uh, our survey customers target respondents in Australia.
0: So it's an interesting thing because it, it it can be and and we had this conversation over coffee. Uh, it can be a, a startup wanting to just ask you know fifty people about a, a an idea or a or a video that they've made. It could be any any small thing or it could be on a grand scale. Uh, a big company asking again a small number of people or a large number of people anything um, anything they like because it's about doing audience research, market research, which used to be done with foot soldiers. It Used to be people knocking on doors asking questions, coming back, collating answers manually, and isn't it just fantastic to think about the Internet and how now, in 48 hours, you could ask a couple of thousand people, a couple of great questions, and have the responses collated and deep dive into them so quickly.
3: Yeah, I think it's part of SurveyMonkey's mission. We're trying to help people make better decisions, and part of that is providing a tool that is fast, easy to use, cost-effective, Uh, simple enough for anybody to go get started, and also a lot of the the help uh, instruments and the help guidance to make sure that people can create great surveys over time. Um, And what we're trying to do is really, in in some ways, democratize research, make it open to more people to provide uh, really powerful tools in the hands of small to medium businesses, bigger enterprises that may not have budget in certain circumstances to get faster feedback and to iterate in their decision-making process. We want to help involve and get data in all aspects of a research cycle, of a product development cycle, marketing campaigns, we want people to get feedback early in the process, so that by the time they get to the end of the process, they're very confident in their results, uh, and they're not reliant on one giant test at the end of the year or at the end of the project.
0: And this is a this is potentially a big change for the market research uh, market or organisations in, in Australia. You know, companies have been spending you know large amounts of money to do possibly small amounts of research, and you're now bringing that to them in scale.
3: Yeah, and I think it's just, it is it is a change, and I think it's just, um, it's breaking down research into multiple parts. I think it's so hard these days uh, for people to factor in things like mobile, um, how, how different types of users are going to access different products, how they're going to receive different messages. Um, the, in the last five to ten years, there's been such drastic changes as, Things shift from print to digital, Uh, but print is still critical. Um, And things, as you mentioned, go from door-to-door research to online to mobile research to phone research. I think it's a lot of different data points that people need to factor in. Mm. And so while you've got advertisers and market researchers who are going to be experts in their trade, we want to be a platform and a tool that they can use to help aggregate all that data and mm. let the experts make sense of it so they can help the, the end client companies and things like that.
0: Okay. So there's, there's two targets for this, this uh, launch in a sense. There's, uh, people who, who may be willing to fill out surveys. Uh, and there are the businesses. For the businesses, it's really about, you know, reaching out to SurveyMonkey, uh, and, and you've got a local team who'll help them engage in this and, you know, sell the product and, and get their surveys out there and done. That's right. Yes, exactly. And and for the consumer, there's there's something really cool about this uh and you can tell us a couple of things. Tell us firstly, where do they go to be part of it? Secondly, what's the reward? What what what's the incentive to to I mean help you essentially build your um your Australian database and what 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 uh what do they get out of each survey? Cuz this is I think this is really cool.
3: So there's three or there's there's three factors we think about um when trying to provide quality answers for our customers. The first is, where do we find people? Um, how do we recruit and get people into the pool that can take surveys? The second is, how do we incentivize them, as you mentioned? The third is, how frequently do we engage them, and how do we make sure that we don't over-invite and that we don't over-engage respondents? So, as you mentioned, the, the way that people can find us and the way that people can sign up to take surveys, there's two main ways. The first is, they can go to our website, um, contributesurveymonkey.com.au. Um, That will provide them with a page in a way that they can sign up to be eligible to receive surveys. Uh, The main way that we actually get people is when when our own customers send out a survey, um, when someone finishes the survey, they will click done to submit the survey, a lot of times they'll see a landing page right after that that says, hey, thank you for taking this survey. If you'd like to take more to benefit charity, sign up here. They then fill out a profile and become eligible to receive surveys every time that someone gets the survey and takes it, we donate 50 cents to the charity of their choice. So Mm -hmm. we've got, uh, right now we've got four partners in Australia. We'll be adding a lot over the next several months. We've got, you know, close to 50 in the U.S. now. Um, But that's sort of a really unique way that we incentivize people to make sure that it, it does help data quality, but also that people, you know, have a reason for giving back. It's not just a a small reward that they get. They're actually helping and they can see the amount of donations that they accrue over time. Um, so, yeah, that's our model, and I think it's its one that really helps us engage pretty deeply with the communities that we're working in and the, the markets that we enter. Mm. Uh, and it also has huge benefits in data quality because people, um, they're generally, you know, opting in so that they can give feedback um, you know, provide a few minutes of their time to help with a small donation to charity, and those definitely add up over time. We've donated over three million dollars in the U.S. so far.
0: And that's the thing. It's uh, it may seem small, fifty cents, but you do you do enough surveys a year, you and and you know, a couple of couple tens of thousands of others do the same, and that's that's good money going to Australian charity. And it just, I mean, it's just a reason to do it. You know, it's a, it's just a justification in your mind to say you get an email saying, hey, we've got this survey. You click the button five minutes of your life and you've just done some good it's a great little model i, I love that idea um and i i, I like the somewhat just dis- i am mean, not you're not using the word but somewhat disruptive nature of of survey monkey audience that uh and how that can affect both small and large businesses in australia so um i wish you well i wish you well you've got a local team um it'll be interesting to see how it goes and, and hopefully australia treats you well while you're here and and the product goes well for you mate
3: well we hope so too we're, we're very excited so far it's it's an incredibly important market for us, um, and so we're we're very excited to dive headfirst and and make sure it's one of our one of our most successful markets.
0: Thanks for the chat, Brent.
3: All right, thank you very much.
0: All right, uh, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading uh, some interesting chats and conversations there um, to Adam, who uh, got in touch regarding some pop-ups. Couldn't get a hold of you tonight, mate, but. Uh, Let's try that again next week. And if you've got a question or a problem with technology, just get in touch. Go to the website, eftm.com.au. Happy to help. And uh, you can uh, download each and every week on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on EFTM. I don't mind. I don't care. But um, do send me an email saying, oh, by the way, golf. Uh, we did get some, some tweets. Uh, I have confirmed with the golf, course we, golf, golf club we can do it. Just got to find the right date. Uh, so likely looking at maybe a Saturday, late August. Um, We're going to have a limited number of places, maybe 10 or 15. Um, So stay tuned for that on the website. Uh, Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. My name's Trevor Long. Follow me on Twitter, at Trevor Long, and download each and every week. Your Tech Life. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Talk to you soon. Your Tech Life with Trevor Long.